Now, we've been in this series called The Xmas Files because what we want to try to do is we want to try to discover the real Christmas story. And we've been doing a lot of historical background and, and trying to fill in all of the pieces so that when you read the Christmas story, it actually comes alive for you. It's not just words on a page. You have this concept in your mind what the world was like at the time that Jesus was born. And uh, we found out that Caesar Augustus, we have a, an artist rendition of him. Uh, a, a, uh, I don't know what the baby thing is hanging down from his skirt there, but um, I, I don't get that. But anyway, this is this is a rendering of Caesar Augustus. He was the Caesar that was in charge when uh, Jesus was born. And Caesar thought that he was God in flesh on the earth. I don't know where he decided that, what kind of stuff he was smoking, but he decided that he was God and he started making up all of this stuff to... Uh, to convince other people that he was God. One of the things that that he did was he said that if you burned incense to Caesar, then uh, you would receive forgiveness of your sins. Caesar um, thought he was the divine mediator between heaven and, and earth, meaning he was the one that would talk to the gods, plural gods, on your behalf. Uh, he He instituted this thing to celebrate his birthday called the 12 Days of Advent. You've kind of heard of that. Hymns were sung to him, young, young, young. Uh, Children would go around singing about this great God, Caesar, and a phrase that they would use. This blew my mind. A phrase that they would use referring to Caesar is there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than Caesar Augustus. You know anything about your Bible? You know that that's applied to Jesus later in the New Testament. Another phrase they would use is Caesar is Lord. And they would come to your village and they would say Caesar is Lord. And if you agreed and said, yes, Caesar is Lord, then your village could survive you could live and, and you would become the center of Caesar worship. And it was actually called an ecclesia. If you know anything about the Greek, that means church. I can't believe that was applied to these cities. But, but that city would become a center of Caesar, wor- uh, Caesar, Caesar worship. And, uh, um, and, and you could live. If, if, you said, if you didn't say Caesar's Lord, if you said, no way, I don't believe in Caesar. Caesar's not Lord. Then either you would die. And on one occasion, they put up 2,000 crosses and, and crucified 2,000 men um, within sight of where Jesus would have been a teenager when he was in Nazareth. And, and the rest of the people, they made slaves. And in one conquest, not only did they crucify all of these people, they're the ones that invented crucifixion, by the way, the, the Romans. Not only did they crucify all these people, but 30,000 people were made slaves that day because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Um, Rome ruled the world at the time that Jesus was born and Caesar ruled Rome. Caesar would would say that he was bringing a rule of peace. But if you remember anything about Caesar's rule, how would in the name of peace, what would he do? He ruled the whole world. You see these different colors. Basically, all of that is the Roman Empire. And it's just the different colors is what was added at different times during the different Caesars. And, and you know, you have some serious problems about how do you how do you rule parts of the world that are that are, you know, a couple of thousand miles away and it takes you nine months to get there. You know what you do? You find kings, you find these little puppet kings and you put them in charge and say, as long as you do what we say, then then you can rule. And so the puppet king was actually this incredible warrior named Herod. He was half Jew and half Edomite. Some say that he's the distant cousin to uh, Santa Claus. Looks like it, doesn't it? See the family resemblance? That went over like a lead balloon. I've always watched Leno when he tells bad jokes. You know, okay, I just that was a bad one. Okay. He was this unbelievable warrior and he did all kinds of things that um, 
that blew our minds. He was technologically advanced for his time. My favorite, one of my favorite stories about Caesar, about Herod is that, you know, he wanted to build a house halfway between Jerusalem and his uh, home country of Edom. But he wanted to build it on a mountain. And, you know, I showed the picture last week. There were no mountains out there. So if you're Herod, what do you do? You make a mountain. He built another uh, city on Masada. Didn't have any water, no fresh water. So what do you do if you're if you're Herod and you don't have fresh water? You redirect the wilderness so that 17 miles of, of creeks and valleys come from Jerusalem down to Masada. And then you big these, dig these big cisterns at the bottom of Masada because Masada is this big, huge cliff. And, and it, the cisterns were so big that they would hold enough water for 10,000 people for 10 years. Herod was unbelievable. Caleb, after hearing this last week, he said, Dad, Herod was the Einstein of his day, only smarter. I said, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's a dollar. They're counting down here. Every time I mention his name, he gets a dollar. So the, the, the police, the, the, uh, the payment police are on the front row. Thank you very much. Now, Herod, not only was he incredibly brilliant, um, he was an engineer of his day, but he was, he was also incredibly wicked. He had 11 wives and 43 sons and he killed uh, 43 children. He killed at least three of his sons because he was suspected that they wanted the kingdom. And no matter what they said, he killed them. He had a wife that that he was a little bit suspicious about. So he killed her. Um, Anytime he had he had uh, disputes with the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of Jerusalem, he'd kill them. And and probably this gives you the greatest picture of, of Herod's character. Shortly before his death, he ordered that the stadium be filled with all the most influential influential Jews. He ordered that the doors be barricaded. And then he instructed the soldiers, when I die, go into the stadium and slaughter all of those influential influential Jews so that I'll be guaranteed there will be weeping and mourning at my death. Quality human being right there who ruled Israel for 40 years. So here's the picture. Two thousand years ago. Here's a picture. If you don't bow down to Caesar, what happens? You die. Caesar puts Herod in charge of Israel. And if you don't bow down to Herod, what happens? You die. Okay. Good situation to be in. On top of that, uh, it's estimated that 80 to 90 percent of their their earnings were given in taxes. Let's just make the math real easy. Let's say you bring home a thousand dollars a month. If you were paying eight hundred to nine hundred dollars in taxes. How many of you can live on a hundred bucks a month? Let me see your hands. I want to talk to you. I want to interview you. You couldn't do it. Neither could they. And so you have this unbelievable time of despair. The uh, the Jews would have to rent themselves out as hired labor during the day because they've lost all their land because they can't pay their taxes. These guys are wicked. And if you if you're a Jew, you believe that you are God's chosen people because that's what God says. That's what the Bible says. And back then, all they had was the Old Testament. The Bible just talked over and over about God, how he delivered your people. And, uh, you know, you go all the way back to Abraham, the beginning of the nation. You're the ones that, that were in uh, Egypt and you were enslaved in Egypt. And you're the ones that got to go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And when the, when the Egyptian soldiers come through, when the water comes through and they die, you know, the bodies are floating and they're just littered the whole side. You're the ones that, that got the promised land, the land of Canaan. God gave that to the Jews. It's really funny to me that everybody's arguing over whether, you know, the Jews should be there or not. God gave it to them. He created it. He gave it to them. When they went into the promised land, you're the ones that got to walk around the walls of Jericho. That's the strangest military philosophy I've ever heard in my life. You walk around, you put the preachers, the priests in front. Walk around Jericho. 
one time a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you walk around seven times. And then at the end, the military strategy is you turn towards the wall and go, ah, you, you yell. You just think about walking around. What are we doing? I think about the people inside the walls of Jericho. What are they doing? These nuts. They're not warriors. They've been in slavery for forever. And then they've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They're crazy people walking around. And then they turn. Get, I'm, I'm on the wall. I can just imagine, you know, they start going. Ah! They're yelling at my wall. And I'm thinking, go away. That's what VeggieTales says. Nice to meet you. Now go away. Um, and the walls fall down. Now, if you're one of them that walks through the Red Sea and the walls and, and the, the water opens up and you walk through on dry ground, do you think, oh, great Moses? Was Moses the one who parted the Red Sea? No, God did. You think, oh, this is not uh, this is not a swear. You think, oh, my God. <coughs> If you're one of them that walked around the walls of Jericho and you see them fall down before you charge in and take the city, you think, oh, my God. Because when God does something, it is so large that we couldn't have dreamed it up. And he's the only one that gets the glory. And you've heard these stories all of your life. Oh, my God, how big my God is. And then from the end of the Old Testament to Matthew There was 400 years of silence from God. You've heard the stories, but where's God? Where is he? God, are you going to show up? God, if you're so good, God, how come how come Caesar is claiming to be God? How come he's still on the throne? God, if if you're so good, how come Herod? How come he's still on the throne? How come Caesar's getting away with claiming to be God? God, if you're so good. You are a Jew and you're thinking, I know the stories, but we hadn't heard from you. Are you too busy? What's going on, God? Why aren't you showing up in the world? And in the midst of this despair of his people, an angel shows up to a young Jewish girl and just blows my mind. Now, I want you to stop right there before we go any further. And I want you to think in your mind. What is it that you are saying, God, where are you in the midst of you fill in the blank? Because I'll be real honest with you. When I, when I was preparing this whole message and I stopped at this point, you know what I had to admit? God, where are you in the midst of a building for New Life Community Church? God, we've looked at everything. God, how come you're not showing up? God, how come, how come, how come, how come? And in in God's mind, I think he's saying, if you would just chill, I got something bigger than you can do. Because we were trying to figure out how we're going to get financing, you know, how many acres we could buy and how we're going to construct the building and all this stuff. And then all that falls through. And and God says, chill out just a little bit. So we're going to have just a moment of silence. And and I want everybody to close their eyes because I don't want this to be a weird deal. And nobody, you know, the stalking people aren't going to come up and jump on you and beat on your head or anything. Um, nothing weird. I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about what situation in your life are you struggling with? Because some people are saying, God, if you're so good, how come my marriage stinks? God, if you're so good, how come somebody has cancer in my family? God, if you're so good, how come somebody died in a car wreck? People are saying that. And I want you just to admit that to God. God's God's not afraid of, of you being real with him today. But just take a moment of silence.
whatever it is. And if you'd be willing, just hold out your hands just right in front of you. Nobody's going to come slap five or whatever. Just hold out and say, God, I've been holding on to it. Here it is. Moment of silence. I don't know if anybody would be willing to do this, but would one person be willing to say what you've been holding on to? That's kind of scary. Finances. finances. God, where are you in my finances? Nobody else feels that way at Christmas time, do you? <laughs> Somebody else, what have you been holding on to? Drugs. Oh, God, where are you in this deal I'm having with drugs? That's real, isn't it? Anybody else? Depression. Depression. God, where are you? Because I do not feel like my life is worth much. Where are you, God? In the midst of unbelievable economic, social, political, religious oppression, it could not have been any darker God shows up. I want you to see something from the Christmas story. Thank you all for having the courage to share. Those of you who shared. Check this out. It comes from Galatians 4.4. You didn't know the Christmas story was there. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman. Now, this is on your listening guide. So if you would, if you would circle the words, when the right time came. God, you hadn't spoken in 400 years. God, Caesar is killing us. Herod's killing us. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. God, where are you? The Bible says at the right time. Conditions were right. It's the exact time in history when God chose to bring Jesus into the world. And he did it so that people were saying, God, where, where in the world are you? All they had to do is look at the manger scene and say, there you are. There you are in the world. Ann was telling us that, uh, that they have this little manger scene in Reagan. How old is Reagan? She's two. And it, I think it has batteries or something. I don't know. It plays music or something or other. And, and Reagan got it out and she pushed it the other day. And she was all excited. She goes, Mommy, Mommy, my manger still works. And Anne went into this whole sermon on, yeah, the manger does still work. And I want you to know whatever it is when you're saying, God, where are you in the world? The manger still works because there he is. 2,000 years ago, when he burst on the scene, he was saying, I am a God that's not distant, because a lot of people believe that. I was watching a special the other night, and some atheist came on and said, man, when you die, that's the end of your existence. And I'm thinking, where do you get your truth? I'm not going to base my truth on what you say, because you're going to die and stay in the grave. I'm going to base my truth on the one who was born a baby, died, but then he came back to life. The only one in history who's ever done that. 
I'm going to base it on that. At just the right time, God came into the world and the manger still works for whatever it is that you're saying. What? Where are you, God? Because this this isn't this isn't happening. Christmas isn't a story about eggnog and red and green sweaters and who gets the most presents. Right. It's a story about the poor, the downtrodden, the oppressed, the brokenhearted have a new king. And see, this is what Jesus proclaimed. One of his very first sermons in Luke chapter four, verse 18. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus kingdom was a different kind of kingdom, one that had never been seen before. And we looked at that last week when he was being questioned before Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my followers would fight to establish my kingdom. But my kingdom is from some other place. Because, you see, if 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 all there was to this life was my 60, 70 years, I'm assuming that maybe 42 years, that's how old I am today. Maybe my 42 years is about up. And if this is all there is. If all there was was human life back in the day that Jesus was born, then God blew it. If all there is is this human life, like the atheist said, then you, when you die, it's over with. But if there's more to this life than just the physical, if there's another kingdom like Jesus said he came to establish, then God showed up at just the right time. And his kingdom will never end. And so what he's, what he's saying is, let the baby, let the baby in the manger, let this manger that still works remind you that Caesar doesn't win. Herod doesn't win. God does. And if you're king, whatever it is that you have as the king of your life, if that's been letting you down, maybe it's time for a new king. Maybe it's time to look at the baby and say, you could work for me, God. You work for others that I know. Cancer doesn't get the last word. AIDS doesn't get the last word. Drugs and unemployment don't get the last word. Divorce doesn't get the last word. God does for those people who put their faith in him. At the very moment when everyone was asking, God, where are you? An angel appears to this young Jewish girl. And young Jewish girls were offered in marriage around the age of 13. Come here, Daniel. You 15? 16 in January. She wanted to know that. 16 in January. All right, let's let's think through this whole uh, this whole story. She's she's this young Jewish girl. And an angel shows up and I'm just thinking, dude, angel shows up. You know what I'm doing? (laughs) Hitting the floor or running, you know, because that's what every every time somebody saw an angel in the scripture says they trembled with fear. Sometimes they fell as dead men with fear. And what does the angel say to her? First thing, fear not, do not be afraid. And so, so the angel says, hey, Mary, I got some news for you. You're going to get pregnant. And, and not only are you going to get pregnant, but this is going to be God's son. And so Mary, this young Jewish girl, is thinking some stuff hasn't happened yet. I've been through the biology class. I saw that film that I'm dating. All the, all the young sixth and seventh grade girls got to go watch some film and all the boys didn't. And we would ask them about it and they were always too, 
embarrassed to tell us what it was. And so to this day, I hadn't seen the film. I, I found somebody, my wife told me what happened. So she's going, some stuff hasn't happened yet. And she's like, uh, this stuff hasn't happened. And then the angel says, oh, that's, that's OK. You're going to get the Holy Spirit is going to do this thing inside you. And it's going to be this miracle. And, and so Mary goes, oh, that makes sense. Happens all the time. My friends and I were just talking about that the other day. God, you know, just does some stuff and I'm going to have God's son. Thank you. Give her a hand. Give her a hand. Now, let's look at the scripture. This is from the message translation. Let's look at, at this story. Luke 1, 30 through 33. Mary, God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever. No end ever to his kingdom. Okay, this new kind of king is bursting on the scene. We're going to have him born through somebody who's never had sexual relations with a man. And and we're going to do some stuff that has never been seen before because we're establishing a kingdom that has never been seen before and never will see an end ever. And so don't worry about it, Mary. God's going to do some stuff and, and all of this is going to be good. And then look at this translation of how Mary responds. I just love this. Mary says, here I am, the Lord's servant. We didn't have that one up there. Let's get on with it. Some 13, 14 year old girl says, let's do it. OK, God, here I am. I am your vessel. If you want to do this great thing through me, then do it through me. That's a big deal to me that, that she had that kind of faith. And, and why in the world would God use Mary? If you look at the whole manger scene, why would God choose Mary? I think it's because God says, I have the habit of using the most unexpected people. Nobody here could give testimony of that, could you? I mean, I, I've shared with you, when I went back for my 10-year high school reunion, people said, they laughed as they said it, you're a preacher? And they let me pray. <laughs> I don't think they'd ever heard me pray before. They, they, I was one of those people that went to church, but lived like hell the other six days of the week. And so when I came back, and they're like, you? God uses unexpected people. When God is on the property, things happen that can't be explained away. And with the birth of Jesus, God walked onto the property called Earth. And He came to turn things upside down. And this announcement comes to say, Caesar's going down. Herod, the clock is ticking. A new kind of king is on the scene, and He brought a new kind of kingdom. One that will never end. At just the right time, God showed up. And, and why is this a big deal? I was born in 1964. And in my lifetime, 42, I already told you that. In my lifetime, things have not gotten better. Humans aren't evolving to a higher plane. <laughs> what I see is humans getting more and more out of control. And the Bible, um, the Bible predicts this. So if, if humans aren't going to save themselves, then God had to do something and he burst on the scene to do that. And if God has to make a, a, a choice between your happiness and heaven for your soul, which one do you hope he chooses? This life is temporary and I want heaven. And so God all the time makes choices on your behalf because he wants you to be with him in heaven forever. And this lifetime is just temporary. 
God didn't mess up at just the right time he burst on the scene. Herod's kingdom didn't last. We looked at a bunch of ruins from his kingdom last week. Unbelievable stuff that he built, and it's all in ruins. Caesar, all we can thank him for is the salad. What else has Caesar done that has blessed your life in 2006? The salad. Yeah, I, I like the Caesar salad. Now, notice she responds. Uh, I want you to see what, what happens next. She goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And, and by the way, uh, I hadn't seen the nativity story yet, but I intend to see it. I've heard folks that have. They say it's a great uh, portrayal of what happened with, with Mary and probably how she was dealt with for, for getting pregnant outside of wedlock. Um, big deal back in those days. But go see that. She goes to, to hang out with Elizabeth. And after Elizabeth greets her, here's what it says. You have this on your listening guide. This is called the Magnificat. Um, it was a song that Mary just burst out. And I want you to see some of this. And we'll wrap this up today. You can read along with me. And Mary said, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing with the song of my Savior God. And if you're following along on your listening guide, just circle those words. Savior God. Because this is a woman who knows that life is not getting better. She knows that, that the world around her, she's had relatives die. She's seen villages wiped out. And she says, oh, my Savior God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me. All right. Here's circle this phrase will never be forgotten. Here we are. Two thousand six years later. How many of you knew the facts that I shared with you about Caesar a couple of weeks ago? No one, anyone, anyone, Bueller. How many of you knew the facts I shared with you? Okay, one. The facts I shared with you about Herod last week. How many of you know what we're celebrating tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. Who won? Who won? Mary was right. Caesar does not win. Herod does not win. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. Circle those words. Who were the bluffing braggarts that Mary was singing about? Who was in charge? Caesar. Herod. He scattered them. Look at this. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. Who were the victims? The slaves, the Jews, the oppressed people. If you weren't in the inner circle, then, then you had life really, really hard. The, the starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on his mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham right up till now. This is not some timid young Jewish girl who doesn't have a clue going, okay, like whatever. No, she knows her Jewish history. She knows what God said to Abraham. She quotes all kinds of Old Testament Psalms when she's singing this song. And she knows that God has shown up in the past and now he's showing up again and she calls him her savior. And, and this is a God who is actively involved in the world. And she said he is making a difference. This savior will take care of Caesar. He will take care of the Herods of the world. This is a God who shows up right in the midst of the unbelievable circumstances of life and does some things that only he can do. Now, those who have been stepped on will be stepped on no more. God has not forgotten his people. And this was good news. The, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. 
And Gospels really means good news. Can you understand how they got that title, Gospels, good news? If you're living at that time and a new kingdom is coming on, it's time for some new blood because Caesar sucks if you're living in that time. Herod sucks. There's a new king in town. I want you to look at uh, one historian Thomas Cahill, what he says about the Magnificat. It says, Mary speaks her Magnificat, the most muscular poem in all of ancient literature. Muscular. That's pretty cool, right? He says, this is not some little shy girl. This is a serious deal when she stands up and says this. Herod's kingdom, pile of rocks. Caesar, pile of rocks. And what are we celebrating tomorrow? The birth of Caesar, which is what he proclaimed. Is tomorrow called Caesar Mass? Herod Mass? Christmas. So Mary was right. And by the way, I just, I got to jump on my high horse for just a second. When Mary sings this Magnificat and she starts talking about the good stuff that's going to happen, whom, whom is she putting the focus on? God or Mary? God. Nowhere in the Bible do you hear her called mother of God. Nowhere do you hear of her being elevated to any status other than the vessel through whom God came into the world. Nowhere are we told to worship anyone other than the baby that came from Mary. All right, we'll move on from that. Look what else Cahill says. No one knows it yet, but the poor, the hungry and the humiliated have won. And this unknown 14-year-old is their unexpected representative. God's kingdom is not a kingdom about wealth. It's about generosity. It's not a kingdom about controlling people. It's a kingdom about loving people. It's not about being your own God, but bowing down before the one who really was God. When, when the wise men, and by the way, we don't know if they're kings. That comes from the hymn, We Three Kings of Orient Art. We don't have a clue. Whether they were kings or not, we just didn't get that far. If we'd had a few more weeks, we'd have gotten that far in the Christmas quiz. Um, when they came and they saw the child, do you remember their first reaction? They bowed before him to worship him. It's not about being your own God, but bowing before the real God. It's not about running from your past failures, but allowing God to forgive and cleanse and purify your past and actually redeem your past. Redeem means... The, the picture was there's a slave being offered on the auction blocks and there's bidding going on. And when Jesus Christ redeems your life, he pays for all of your screw ups so that the rest of your life doesn't have to be dominated by the past. And the rest of your life can be used to reach out to others in similar circumstances, because I'm telling you, when you see someone come to God. It is one of the most powerful things ever. I was sitting in my chair this morning and I was thinking, if I didn't have any presents, would Christmas still be good? And I thought about my children. I said, I got three kids. God, that's enough. But then on top of that, I started naming off people sitting here and saying, God, I've seen you work in their life. And oh, if I never had a dime to my name, the fact that their lives have been redeemed is enough. And my soul, I almost burst out with God's song. My kids would have thought I was nuts if I was hopping around the living room. But I thought about all and, I, and folks of you sitting here, I started naming God. I saw you in in their lives. I see you in their lives. I see what you're doing, God. Oh, it's enough for me.
to be just a part of your kingdom and to tell others so they can be a part of your kingdom and they can spread the word. And that's the whole idea of Christianity in the first place. The Christmas story is about setting people free. Herod doesn't win. Caesar doesn't win. Your story is not over. Whatever you said, God, where are you in this? Let God be the one who has the last word. And I think you'll be amazed by what he does in your life. I want you to take out your your registration cards for just a second. 